Hey, everybody, welcome back to another edition, DPH Clinical. We got the guys from Colorado Surgical Institute. We got Ryan Rolla here. We got our CRNA. We're talking about sedation. This is part two. If you're just coming in on this episode, go back and listen to the first one. There's some great information in that. We're going to get a little bit more on the nitty-gritty of IV sedation. How do we work this into a general practice, a surgical practice? What does it look like in real life, and how do we talk to our patients about it, and how do we offer it? So I'm just going to... I guess I'll pass the mic to you guys, whoever wants to take that one. What do we do? Yeah, first and foremost, obviously get certified, get the credentialing done, get good training, get your facility certified to do it. Every state is different in terms of how they're going to look at it. So make sure you look into that or the course that you go to should have the information for you to guide you through the process. And then after that, just start talking about it. Just start talking about it with patients. Like I'll be in every room with every patient who needs more than two hours worth of work. And I'll say a version of, hey, do you have any anxiety or, or fear when it comes to the dentist? And most people will say, well, yeah, I don't like being here. And then, then I just allow them to share their experience. And maybe it's a bad experience. Maybe they just don't want to be mentally present for an appointment that's six hours long because when you're prepping 28 crowns or whatever the case may be. So it's not always that they need it because they're scared and anxious. Sometimes it's just a long procedure and it's a lot to endure and having the sedation on board is there as a benefit for them. So I ask the question often and I allow the patient just to share. I tell them, hey, we have four different levels of sedation in this practice. Number one is nitrous, just the laughing gas, you know, from way back in the day. And if they have any questions, I touch on that. Or I can give you a couple of pills to just keep you relaxed. I really downplay the oral sedation now because I don't like the way it's not as controllable. So I'll say a version of, hey, you're wide awake, you're just calm, and you don't really mind being here. And it might have like a effect of not feeling like a long time to you. I don't promise them any form of slumber, any form of REM sleep, any form of like actual true sedation, even though with oral sedation, you can push them in certain states and give multi-doses. In some states, it's single doses, so you got to kind of be careful. But I kind of tell them what oral sedation is, and my job is to manage expectations. And if I tell them they're going to be sedated with pills and they're not, then I look like the person who's not delivering on it, and then I got to keep giving them pills or call it. I thought I was going to sleep. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, dude, you're going to be okay. And they still forget the appointment, but during the whole appointment, they're asking for more drugs. So it just makes it a little frustrating. And then I tell them, hey, I can do your sedation for you. If it's a case, I feel comfortable. And a couple of things I'm going to ask them right off the bat, if I feel like I want to do their sedation, because I'm going to evaluate just the overall health of the patient. I'm looking at like circumference of the neck. I'm looking at their weight. I'm seeing malam potty. I'm looking down their airway. How obstructed is that airway? Is this person just well or unwell, right? Do they have a lot of comorbidities? Or do they have diabetes plus COPD plus their neck is the size of a retired lineman? And then at that point, I'm like, okay, I'm not doing that case. And I'm always going to ask a version of, if you go get blood drawn, like, are you easy to find a vein on? And patients who are not easy to find a vein on will volunteer like, oh, I'm the hardest one. And like, they can never find it on me. I'll do a quick evaluation of the arms and the hands. And if I don't feel like I can find it, I'm calling my CRNA. They are way better at finding veins than I am. And I do it often. And they're still way, way better any given Sunday than I'll ever be. And then if I feel like I'm comfortable doing their case, I'll give them the option. And if I think I need them to be truly sedated, then I'll go ahead and say, I got a fourth option for you. Your procedure might warrant you being fully asleep. Or if they're 
trembling already. You know, I got to peel them off the ceiling to have the conversation. I'll give them the option for the CRNA and say, hey, they'll, they'll use, you know, stronger meds than I'm licensed to use. You'll be in la-la land essentially. And we can guarantee that you're going to be, I can't guarantee it's like REM sleep because I don't think it is. And Ryan, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll tell them like, hey, you're going to be out for the count and we're going to be monitoring it. Someone's monitoring your airway and keeping you healthy and safe. And I'm doing your procedure. Now that comes with an additional price tag. And I'm saying that right off the bat. So the patients know that they're going to pay probably anesthesia bill plus 20% to cover supplies, to cover staff time, to cover the fact that they get in early and I start late and the restrictions I have on certain things. And that's why I pitched to them. And then the patients for the vast majority of the time, they're going to sign up either with me or with Ryan. And I don't charge for oral sedation. So I'll just tell them, hey, the pills are free. The nitrous, I charge 150 bucks for because nitrous is expensive. And then when it comes to IV, I charge like 500 bucks. If it's going to be longer or anything, I'll charge more. And then with CRNAs, I mean, the price is very dependent on state. So talk to your friends to kind of figure out where they are. I think over here, it's what, 650 bucks for two hours. Does that sound about right? right? Yeah, 750. Yep. 750. Got it. So that's what I do. And dude, I do like a sedation case every single day. Like literally every day, I'm either doing a form of sedation on one to two to three patients. And it's a game changer. I'm doing quadrants of dentistry. I'm doing a lot of surgery. And even on SRPs, sometimes these patients will require a form of sedation because they just had bad experiences. So it's a bit of practice builder for me. And it's really allowed me to take things to the next level. Is the profitability in the procedure or is it in the people saying yes to getting treatment that normally wouldn't? Or is it more like that you can work faster when they're sedated? Like what's the benefits to the doctor? All of the above, man. All of the above. So yes, there's some profitability in sedation, maybe like minimal. So that's not going to be the actual procedure of sedation, maybe factor it in as a break even. After you do it, you're going to pay for your education. You're going to pay for your supplies. You'll make some money. You'll maybe pay for a couple family trips or whatever, but you're not going to go to Tahiti on it. More so than not, where you're going to be profitable is you're going to be profitable on your ability to do a lot of dentistry in a short period of time, in a safe and efficient manner. And your patients aren't going to remember the bad stuff. They're only going to remember the good stuff. They're going to see this beautiful transformation. And then you can build your reputation on the procedures you're doing. And then patients talk. And they're like, oh, yeah, I went to the dentist. I don't remember the root canal. It went awesome. You should go there. They do that. Because not every dental office will have these options for you. The really cool thing is, is in the vast majority of states, having an option like Ryan is 100% possible. All you got to do is ask around and find some friends who have good connections, and then you can set up your operation. And then step two is if you want to actually do the sedation yourself, and I would encourage everyone to at least look into it and see if it's an option for you, then you can start implementing it yourself in your practice. And it's been a game changer for my procedures under two hours. I use Presidex now, so if I go for three hours, I'm not overly concerned because I have that in my armamentarium. It's fun. It keeps it interesting, I'll tell you that much. Awesome. Anything you want to add to that, Brisky? I have a sedation menu. So I have like a printout that when I'm talking to the patient, I actually give it to them. I don't offer nitrous because I feel like it's a placebo. <laughs> Not on the menu. Yeah. I'm like, there's better stuff out there. I'm going to use the hard stuff, right? So <laughs> I'm not going to offer nitrous. I just, I just like, you know what? There's better things in this than telling Karen that this magical nitrous is going to help her anxiety disorder, right? Because Karen's going to bitch at you when she finds out that the nitrous isn't good enough. 
<laughs> so I have a sedation menu. So mine goes oral sedation, IV, and IV CRNA. So I have a state that way because some patients you may say, hey, you know what? This patient's not really anxious. I'm just going to give them a tablet and they can just coast and whatever, right? Then you have your patients. How I describe it is I tell them with oral sedation or even with IV sedation, you have a 90% chance of not remembering this visit. But if you want a 100% chance of not remembering this visit, you want to bring in my gangster friend, Ryan, <laughs> right? Because you still have a, a small percentage of people who will remember something. So if you have that ultra anxious patient who really wants to be impressed and you have some doubts whether or not doing minimal or moderate sedation can bring to the accurate level of sedation to that patient, then I only recommend doing IV sedation or deep sedation with my CRNA. That's how I qualify it as. So I just, mine's like three steps uh, is what I do it as. Oral sedation is the cheapest. Then it goes all the way up to, all right, like your, like your Ferrari option, which is having the CRNA in the office. Well, I like that Ferrari option. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, part of this too is we can't let Ryan know that he can get more money from the doctors. So yeah. he can barely afford it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a luxury. Yes, yeah. luxury Ferrari. Yeah. So just don't yeah. tell Ryan he could charge more. Okay, please. Yeah. <laughs> I remember one time in college buying weed off a guy and I was with this one of my buddies was like, dude, why do you put so much weed in your bag? And I'm, he's like, what do you mean? I put a lot. He's like, you smell we pay like twice as much for as much as you sell us. And all my friends are like, what are you doing, man? We never got a bag like that ever again. <laughs> Guy's name was Bam. That was our deal. Like, was Bam. Bam. I said, why do you call Bam? Because you call me, I'm Bam. I'm there, boy. <laughs> it's cool, dude. It's cool, dude. So anything you want to add to that, Ryan? Not specifically the Bam story, but the one before it. <laughs> no, I think they kind of touched on everything. I've been brought into offices to do every type of procedure. I mean, I've been brought in to put people to sleep for getting their teeth cleaned. I go to one office, they just do cosmetic stuff. So I'm doing veneers with them. So it's not out of the realm to need a specialist for a deeper sedation. So if you do get that patient, and you're kind of questioning it and thinking like, well, is this somebody that I could be putting to sleep? Or is if you're really questioning it, just bring in a specialist. I'm not going to judge you. I'm definitely going to be coming in to help either way. The kind of the relationships that we build with each other. I love helping these guys out. Anytime I get a call from them, I love making time for them. So having me as an option on their arsenal is, is something great. But then when you can do it yourself, those easier procedures, those under two hour procedures, the healthy people stuff, that's the stuff that's great. And it's going to help your practice a ton. It's going to allow you to do more things. I actually go to one office and she's like, I just don't want this person to be awake and talking to me the entire time. So I kind of want to bring you in to just... Put her to sleep for a little while. So like there's multi-uses for it. I wish I could do that for some of like my hardcore favorites. You know those favorites that you appreciate so much that they love you so much, but at the same time, they're just so like draining. I just want to be like, I thought I didn't see you. I'm like, I saw you. You were sedated. I came in. Yeah. <laughs> I was there. Right, you did great. I was there. I would love to do IV sedation for just like smaller procedures. I did oral conscious on an MLIF on a patient. I didn't even have to give her any anesthetic. And... I was like, you need for this? I'm like, this is gonna take like six minutes. And she's like, I need it. I need oral conscious every time. And I'm like, I'm sitting there, I'm like, God, you're gonna be in the, you're gonna be here like an hour and a half, two hours. Like, I don't want you here that long. I don't know. Like what IV would like solve that, right? It'd be quicker, right? 
Well, that patient, you just don't offer oral sedation to. You just offer her 15 minutes of IV at $180. And then that little IF may turn into, no doc, I don't need sedation now. Yeah, yeah. Well, she actually paid $300 for oral conscious. (laughs) For a few pills, I guess. That's what they told me to do, so I did it. (laughs) I'm going to name you Bam. Yeah, right? I'm reverse Bam. Yeah, you pay a lot for not a lot. That's how we do it. All right, so we went through a lot of the how-to stuff, and I know there's a bunch of people listening, and they're like, bro, tell me about the pharmacokinetics. I mean, we we hear that all the time. People want to know the pharmacokinetics. We're just trying to tell them how, and they want to get there. I hope nobody's really asking, like, they're needing to hear that, but I want to hear about it. So, so Ryan, talk about, like, esmodazolam. Like, what's a common Versailles? Like, let's talk about that. These are all medications that work on different receptors. So midazolam is going to work on your NMDA receptor. It's just a medication that's going to act as a anti-anxiolytic. So sometimes people will get confused and they'll think Versed is going to help with pain control. So if I give a little Versed to a patient, they're not going to hurt. They're going to just kind of coast through this. You have to understand that what you're using the drugs for, and I think that's kind of like with the class, what we're able to talk about is like, you're using this drug specifically for this, and you're using this drug specifically for this. So you're using your midazolam for your anxiolytic. You bring in your fentanyl, it's your narcotic that's going to help with pain control. So when you use those together, you kind of have the pain control with the anxiolytic, and it allows your patient to just let you kind of, you can do your injections in the beginning, and there it's not going to be a big deal to them. It's going to kind of lessen everything and allow you to get started a lot easier, quicker, and not cause that patient a bunch of pain and trauma. Hey everyone, this is Dr. Ty here doing Colorado Surgical Institute. Dr. Brisky and myself have really enjoyed doing these podcasts with Dr. Etch and talking about everything clinical. So keep your guys' feedback coming. It really helps us curate what we're going to be talking about on the podcast. If you want to learn how to do live patient surgeries and actually do the work yourself with the guidance of Dr. Brisky and myself, come out and see us. We're in northern Colorado. We're just north of Denver, and we can have you do anything from single implants to wisdom teeth to IV sedation to oral sedation, bone blocks and GBR and sinus lifts, vertical and lateral and full arch with the whole digital workflow using photogametry, 3D printers, mills, and all of the above. So we're here to help. Reach out to us. You can call Chris Richards, our director, at 970-420-6148, and he will definitely have a hero discount for you guys because we love Paul and we love DPH. Yeah, one thing I'd like to add to that also is what we're going to talk about here is not recommended in terms of dosaging or anything. This is not us giving you recommendations on how to do your sedations at home, but I'll kind of talk through like what I do here personally. So then everyone can kind of get an idea of like how I stage things and introduce certain medications. But again, for all the lawyers, this is not a recommendation on how you do it. You don't do this stuff without training and you figure out your own protocols. But I like to start everyone with just a small amount of Versed. So I typically do 2.5 of Versed unless they're really young or they're really old or there's some other reason why I wouldn't do that. And I just kind of see how they react. And then I like to give them some dexamethasone as well. So I'll do like four or five or 10, just depending on the bottle and the math on how to draw it up. But the dexamethasone also is like an anti-emetic. So A, you're helping anti-inflammatory properties on it, but also you're helping with nausea and potential nausea when it comes to some of the medications. If a patient is telling me like the case I did yesterday, he was like, yeah, I, I throw up 
all the time for any medication. I'm going to give them Zofran and I'm just going to get them going with Zofran in the beginning. And I'll give them four in the beginning and four at the end, just to make sure that we're not having vomiting occurring throughout the procedure. One of the important things with Zofran is you got to get it on board and you got to get that thing attached to those receptors before they're puking. Once they're puking, it's game over, right? Those receptors are bound. And is it vasovagal, Ryan? Yep, exactly. And it's exactly what Teher said. With the Zofran and those people that get nauseous, you have to hit that med first. Zofran always first so that receptor can get blocked. Exactly what he says. So he's been paying attention in the classes too, I see. So if they throw up, you, <laughs> I can't you missed that. it. You waited too long. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And if they throw up food, then they lied to you because they should be MPO with an empty stomach. But at the end of the day, yeah, if they throw up, it's hard to get them back from there because the Zofran's not going to help. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So granted, you do your research ahead of time. You play detective. You ask all the questions you need to ask. And then you get them on board. But a lot of people, if you give the dexamethasone to in the beginning, and granted, I've never had anyone puke, and it's been years at this point, it's just because I give dex in the beginning. And then what I'll do is I'll wait a couple of minutes, look at the monitor, see how they're doing. And then if they're doing fine, they're wide awake, and nothing is affecting, you don't see any form of sedation, I'll give them another 2.5 of Versed, and I'll just kind of chill, just see what happens. Again, I go low and slow. I'm just chatting with people. I'm figuring out what music station I want to listen to. My assistants are getting things set up and just making sure things are running, taking their notes and making sure everything is recording properly. There's always something to do in the room. So you can wait a couple of minutes, right? You don't have to rush anything. Just take your time. And then after that, if I need to give them a push of fentanyl, depending on decision-making, it's either 25 mics or it's 50 mics. And then I just kind of see how they do. And then usually at that point, if they're five and 50, procedure starting. And what I'll do also, if they start getting a little sedated, then I go heavy handed on the anesthetic. So then I'll give them a good little poke into the palate. If I'm working the maxilla, I can stimulate them real nice and hard because sometimes they're going to wake up a little bit. Yeah, I saw that <laughs> smile, Paul. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I heard it. Sorry. I heard it when I said it. And I didn't want to say it. I didn't reel it in. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I was just. Yeah. I, was just, I just had a tickle or something. I don't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll make sure that they feel a little bit of pain so then they can kind of come wake up out of the sedation a little bit. And then by the time I'm done with all my anesthetic, they've leveled out on their end. And then we're starting the procedure. And typically speaking, at wisdom teeth, then I'm anesthetizing upper right, to upper left, to lower left, to lower right. That takes long enough to see the passage of time to see where they are from a sedation perspective. And then at that point, man, sometimes I'm just, I'm getting started and I'm done and I'm out of the room and those patients are ready to go home and everything is good. And that's typically all you need. And then sometimes obviously you got to do a little bit more. Ryan, would you like to add anything to that kind of like mix or decision tree or kind of where you are in that whole process? The one thing that I was going to say with the DEX, if you do give them, the standard dose usually is about eight milligrams. You know, you want to go a little bit higher. If you are giving them eight milligrams of DEX, IV push real quick in, there can be a side effect with it and they get this, it's called perianal burning sensation. Mm. So it makes that patient <laughs> feel like they are on fire in their crotch and they will let you know really? what the hell did you just do to me. Yeah, it's wild. I feel like I'd read it that in crazy. a symptom thing. I'd be like, did they make a mistake here? Is this real? Yeah, exactly. It's crazy. Even the people that I put to sleep, they're fully asleep on propofol. If I push a big dose of dex in there, you see them kind of start squirming like on their legs. 
And that's what they're feeling. It's a wild medication. So sometimes with that, I'll, do, I'll just do a little bit. Like he said, I'll do four or I'll do four through the IV line and then I'll put the other four up in the bag and let that kind of trick through. But just make sure you're pushing it slow and not giving them a big dose in the beginning. But everything else, man, that sounds that's like that's a good plan. That's a solid plan. You ever had somebody know that and they're just they're wanting like more. They're like, come on, doc, just make my ass burn. Come on, do it. <laughs> give me the good stuff. Make my ass burn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I can see that happening. Yeah. It's a very yeah. niche market you're going to be going after. Yeah, right. Like, wait, why do you what do you know about this perianal <laughs> right? stuff? Yeah, burn. Yeah. yeah, that's the patient I don't want to be sedated. You know, that's a patient that wants to feel everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. That's they want that sensation. So, like before we close up, like Ryan, just if somebody's never done IV, just to talk about. I think a lot of people, they're worried they push too much and now they're stuck and kind of like where, I guess if you gave somebody too much oral halcyon, maybe you grabbed the wrong dosage or pills, like you're not going to see effects for it. But when you do IV, it's the effects very quick and talk about how fast it wears off, like with these half-lifes when you're doing IV and stuff. The onset for a lot of them is anywhere from five to 10 minutes where you're going to really start seeing that med kick in. They'll last you anywhere from an hour to two hours. The nice thing about it, like we said, say with your oral conscious, if you give somebody a pill and they're having ill effects from it, you're kind of stuck. You kind of just have to ride that out with them. If I give somebody too much versed, I have flumazenil right at the ready. I can push a little bit of flumazenil and um, it's going to reverse the effects of it. It's going to bring them right back. And that doesn't take long at all. The thing about flumazenil is it has a shorter half-life than versed. So if you reverse somebody and you gave them a bunch of versed, once that flumazenil wears off, the Versed's actually going to kick back in and they will be resedated. So you kind of have to be conscious of like, okay, this patient, I reversed them right away after I gave them the Versed. I'm going to need to kind of monitor them and make sure that they don't resedate down the road with us. Yeah, but remember with these meds too, for everyone listening, you're not supposed to be giving these meds like in a routine. Like you don't, if you give flumazenil, you have to report it. So that's a med that you're not going to want to give the patient to bring them up, right? And then, like Ryan said, at least 30%, I think the number is over 30% of people will actually resedate based off of that, just that med in general. So you have to be careful. You don't want to use the med ever. Awesome. Well, Tahir, like, talk about just the class coming up and what you guys do in the IV course and just quickly just, I guess, plug it and talk about what they can expect if they come to Colorado Surgical Institute to get IV trained by Ryan. One thing I want to just reiterate on is like this podcast, we touched briefly on a few things. This is 60 hours of didactic plus all the live patient stuff. There's no way you're going to take the information we just talked about and do anything at home with it. But what I want to tell you is like, there's a lot that goes into this. And once you get it down, it's second nature. And so if you do come to Colorado Surgical Institute, what we can promise you is several things. A, if you need to get credentialed in your state, we can cover it. B, if you're already credentialed, and you want to just get more comfortable with meds, you maybe just let the cobwebs form and haven't used the skill set for too much, and you want to just come and get more reps or watch it so you get more comfortable, or you want to see maybe like Presidex or different things being used in this very safe type of manner, or how dexamethasone is used or Toradol or any of these things that we're going to be talking about, you can come and just shadow that live component of the course. So just in general, anyone who's trying to implement this and do it in a safe way, but also get reps in a way that it's actually going to happen in your own practice, meaning not just profies, not just fillings, but you're actually going to be doing surgical procedures with a duration, with a patient that's undergoing something that you're going to be physically doing yourself, <laughs> reach out to us. 
like I said in the last podcast, the space is, is very, very limited in terms of the live component, but we've strategically set up a virtual component of this. So you can sign up anytime you want, finish your virtuals. And then as soon as my capacity opens up in my live component, you can come in and you can start sedating live patients with us in a very controlled and safe way. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, guys. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. And I hope some people reach out. And I hope we've made this a little demystified for people. They say, maybe this is something I can do. Because every time we talk about sedation, I'm just not in the clinical game anymore. But if I was, I'd be like, guys, maybe I should. Maybe I should learn how to do this stuff. Maybe I would enjoy getting back and more in the clinical. But if I did, it would be with you guys. And, and we would be doing all that stimulation and all that fun stuff and <laughs> and the only perianal burning we're gonna have is maybe Popeye's spicy chicken or something like that bam yeah. bam bam, bam, bam. <laughs> right. well thanks so much guys and uh check it out coloradosurgicalinstitute.com hey everybody this is dr doom from colorado surgical institute just wanted to give you guys a shout out and let you know about the program we have full arch surgeries we have lateral sinus lifts. We have block grafting courses all done in one weekend with the whole digital workflow with photogametry units, scanners, 3D printers, milling, you name it, anything regarded to full arch, we cover in depth. We also have a PGCA course. What that is, it's the Postgraduate Clinical Accelerator course where we are going to be covering wisdom teeth, single implants, and it can be complex single implants with vertical sinus lifts. We'll also be covering full arch extractions with ridge reduction, bone grafting, PRP, suturing, and we also will have a course on socket preservation. So if you guys are interested in any of those courses, please reach out to us at Colorado Surgical Institute. The code is here.